going off just a little bit on our last conversation with Grant Hardy, I think, as you were saying, Danielle, just ways to connect with people, especially when you feel like there's so much resistance or difference between the two of you, uh, can be very impactful, like you mentioned, using humor or other ways to kind of... Uh, Focus on the similarities, maybe, or ways that you can get on the same page. Yeah, just defuse it a little bit, I think. Right, right. Okay, we'll try things out here. Good good article to talk about, though, and uh, Grant summarized those tips for us. It's, it's conversations like those we have on our Lifestyle segment on Fridays. Also on Fridays, we check in with John Beeler. He joins us to talk apps and tech, all kinds of fun things. Happy Friday, John. Happy Friday. Okay. So this first one, I'm not sure what the angle is going to be. So I'm very curious. A Canadian developer uh, built an Arrive Can clone app in two days. So what's the significance here? Well, it was recently uh, sort of unveiled that the Canadian government had spent $54 million to develop and oh. use the app. Uh, arrive can which you know as everyone knows if you're traveling you have to use this to come in back into canada uh, you have to upload a lot of personal information you have to confirm your vaccination status those types of things and so um, when it was announced there was a huge outcry from the tech community that that seemed ridiculous because some of the biggest games and apps out there cost much less to develop so you know, is this a, a case of, you know, government bloat or or what's the story here? And so I, I, there's actually, since I sent you this article, there's been another company that has also proved that they could do something very similar in very short amount of time uh, at a much lower price point. The I guess the only thing that I can think of, and this isn't justifying the price or anything like that, is that I can only imagine how difficult it is to develop an app by committee with the government's that would have to be involved in this, all the different agencies, public health or authorities, those types of things, not to mention the border security people as well. So it's a it's an interesting sort of look at what was actually spent. Uh, apparently a number of the subcontractors involved in this project um, were a very small piece of the actual puzzle with one company actually charging $45 million back to the government for their services. Wow, that's... that's ridiculous <laughs> i think that's, that's um extortion or something like that wow yeah i mean it, it it boggles the mind the um the developer that i was mentioning that created a clone they actually had an internal hackathon to see if they could do this and they did and they yeah. kind of priced it out like what would it actually cost to maintain the servers and the, the support and all that kind of stuff and they thought you know maybe a few hundred thousand dollars when you look at the bigger picture across all the people potentially using this, all the different app stores that it has to go to, those types of things. Wow. So then, John, does it make a difference that the, the clone maker um, did it now? You know, a lot of the stuff, the figuring out and all of this has, we've gone through those phases in the last couple of years. Does it make a difference that he's trying to recreate this now after knowing what has been put into it? Or is that the point? that it doesn't matter. Well, no, that's a very valid point. And essentially the current state of the app is a blueprint for copying it. Pretty right? much. But, yeah. But we don't know all the different iterations that would have went through to get to that point, all the different decisions that would have been had to be made. And again, kind of mentioning what I said earlier about 
having you know cooperation and collaboration from all these different government agencies that mm-hmm. are involved in what makes it all up. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a like an easy route to say, oh well, this is easy to clone, but it's you know it's much more complicated than that. And they do address that in sort of their um, the the stuff I've seen online from this company. You know, it's not that easy, but you know, fundamentally at the core of it, the the basic functionality is not fifty five million dollars worth of development. Yeah. That's the point they're making. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they can if they can show that some of the really complicated apps have cost significantly less to develop, then they're making a statement right then and there. That's really uh, that's pretty significantly. Yeah. Uh, what what I hope this does is put a spotlight on the fact that the next time the government needs to make an app, there'll be a lot more transparency and and presumably <laughs> there might even be a gold rush of developers trying to do that mm. or them knowing they can charge a fortune for it. No kidding. Well, I, I maybe if the they can do it cheaply and just sell it to, uh, yeah, if the clone is more accessible and they should be selling it to the government. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, we know. At least in the Blind Low Vision community, we know how inaccessible the Arrive can the, the whole system, not just the app, but the whole system is. So I'm very curious about that aspect too. Yeah. Now you have something to tell us about Apple showing Windows some love with new music, TV, and iCloud photos integration. Yeah. One of the sort of sore points for a lot of Windows users over the years has been the fact that it's not easy for them to integrate their iPhone into their Windows environment. Uh, you either had to use sort of browser-based things or um, a really old version of iTunes to access Apple Music. And now Apple has um, basically committed to Microsoft to, de- to deliver an Apple Music app that will be natively available on the Microsoft Store. Uh, that's available now, and they're also going to be coming out with something really useful. And it's basically a uh, an iCloud photo uh, app that allows you to integrate your iPhone or whatever iOS device photos into your Windows Phone or Photos uh, application. So you'll actually have this proper cross syncing across uh, Windows and iOS devices for your photos, your music, and even your TV shows. Now, are they doing this just out of the goodness of their hearts or is is there uh, some kind of financial benefit? Um, I, th- I think it's probably a bit of both. Uh, the, um, the actual benefit would be to Apple to have a, probably a fairly large user base being able to natively access their stuff from their phones. Uh, a lot of times people will choose a platform based on their the interoperability with their computer systems as well. So I think this... You know, it, there's no cost for this feature because this is these are for services that you're probably already paying for through your your um, uh, your iCloud account or your Apple Music subscription fees, those types of things. Um, so this just makes it easier for Windows-based users to access that content. Nice. So you 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 would if you're not an Apple user, you can just go to the uh, the Google Store and and pick it up like that. The Microsoft Store, yeah. The Microsoft Store. Pardon me. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah, a good question, though. That yeah. Google, you know, miss um, the question about Google. Like, do yeah. you think that this is a competitive edge now for Microsoft? Because Google and Apple is who we talk about more often, right? Especially with the back and forth. Do they play well to each other with each other, et cetera? 
that, that again, that's a really interesting question because we've seen some partnerships between Apple and Google. We've seen some partnerships between Microsoft and Google. We've seen partnerships with Microsoft and Apple. Like it almost seems to depend on the division of those companies as to who they get along with. And not necessarily all of the divisions in those companies work with the other companies. So, um, but I'm hoping this is going to lead to a much more open and uh, less walled garden sort of feeling across all these different platforms. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's obviously been so much resistance in the past, but I'm curious about what it would be like to just play nice overall with everybody and give people the freedom to uh, choose whatever platforms they want without having to decide, okay, if I get an iPhone, then I have to be all Apple everything because nobody, you know, none of these other places play well with the... I, I think it has a lot to do with a lot of the antitrust regulations we've started to see um, mm. across these companies where you can't have you can't have it all. And you also need to look at the actual consumer landscape. And like you said, you should be able to mix and match. If you really like yeah. an iPhone, but you really like a Windows laptop, that should work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we see more opportunity for options and choices uh, in you know some contexts, it would be nice to see it in all contexts too. So that's great. Now, with um, marvelous technological innovations going on, a new AI tool can scan your retina and predict your risk of heart disease in 60 seconds or less. We had a conversation about artificial intelligence the other day, and I think that this is one of the, the, the top ways that AI is helping, right, in the medical aspect. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Sort of the premise behind this is uh, a research paper was just published in the British Journal of Ophthalmology that talks about the fact that um, a lot of your heart-related issues, specifically heart disease, uh, can be sort of almost predicted by the state of your eyesight. And they discovered that you can basically, it's unclear in, in what I've read from the paper, whether it's a photo, it's an app that's doing something, or it's a like an actual proper scanner of some kind. But it's what it's doing is essentially looking at your, your retina and all of the veins and arteries that are in your eyeball, um, they have... <laughs> They call it a bendability. So how flexible those things are, what size they are, those types of things. The um, the scan, again, whether it's a photo or an actual scan uh, from a, with a scanner, I don't know. Uh, it, it can determine and measure those things. And then the AI can sort of say, hey, you know what? This might actually be the case where you're going to have a problem down the road because this is an early indicator for this thing. Um, the the intent is that this will be something that the end users will be able to do themselves, probably at home, not in a clinic, to get these sort of advanced early warnings of potential issues that are going to be coming down the line. So that's a pretty exciting development. Well, actually, it's not that new. I about and I'm not exaggerating. About 50 years ago, um, I remember my mother going to the ophthalmologist who was examining her retinas who said to her, I'll bet your parents are still alive. The blood vessels in your retinas show that you that you have very healthy, uh, um, that, that your heart health is very good. And so I think that it's been a long time that, that ophthalmologists have known that they can look at the blood vessels. Mm. This might just be a, a way of codifying it through a, an AI tool, but I don't think that it's news that, that looking at no. those blood vessels gives you a... a a fairly good indication of what's happening with the rest of your blood vessels. 
Yeah, no, and that's exactly the point. The, the, the AI can be this early predictor and notice changes, and it's also meant to be self-administered, which is mm-hmm. that's a lot mm-hmm. handier for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when we have conversations about the Apple Watch, about, uh, you know, the 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 way that in each iteration of the Apple Watch, we're able to do more and more on our own. Now, I know that there's the the privacy part of it and there's the, you know, how much are we going to let our devices handle, like aka communicate between us and our doctors. Um, But there's this aspect of it where, yeah, like instead of, you know, the other day we were having a conversation about triaging in emergency rooms and we know the kind of crises that's going on there. So the so much of it now you can potentially or we're very close to having done at home um especially with the the heart health right like ecgs and um yeah heart rate and all that stuff arrhythmia yeah no it's it's definitely something we've seen over the over the last few years with these devices that are in sort of empowering the the users to take their own measurements it can also be a very um uh, anxiety reducing functionality because you know yes. again these aren't I, I mean I guess in some ways they are considered medical devices because they have to be certified by various health authorities but mm-hmm. they're not to replace having that conversation with your doctor but they can be very good early warning signs that hey maybe it's time to have that conversation as opposed to just ignoring that problem um, yeah. and and research has proven that we're not wasting medical resources by having this additional information on on our wrists or other other places because doctors actually welcome an educated user to come in and have a conversation about it because chances are that's when you're going to you're going to prevent it or catch it early enough that you're not dealing with it after it's already too late. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it sure does beat a lot of these uh, opportunities beats us going on Google and trying to diagnose ourselves based on just little to no information at all. Um, fantastic. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate the information as always. John Beeler joins us for our app update on Friday, so he'll be back next week. Uh, also, after the break, we have our regional content report, this time with Sylvie Fiquette. We'll be back for that.